0: Hi, well good morning. Go ahead and slap somebody a high five around you. Say it's good to see you this morning. So wanna welcome everyone to Harvest. If you're new with us, a special welcome to you as, as well. My name is Lee. And I have the joy and the privilege to serve here as the pastor. And we'd love to be able to just personally welcome you, hear a little bit of your story. Um, following the service, if you wouldn't mind, just stop by the guest services table right over here in the hallway. And uh, we would love to be able, again, just connect with you. But we also have a gift card to either Starbucks. Dunkin' Donuts, our treat, just to say thanks for being with us as well. We're in a conversation, we're in the third week of it specifically, that we're calling it Home Field Advantage. And what we're talking about is, what would it look like for our homes to actually be more for us than against us? What does it look like for us to build a biblical home? In other words, really biblical relationships. And so we're exploring the challenges, the conflict, the the things that exist in our world when it comes to the challenges of our world. And today, we're going to be talking specifically to just the overarching idea of conflict. You don't have to be in any type of relationship or friendship very long for conflict to become real. Um, I remember one of the very first big fights that my wife, Melissa, and I had actually happened right before our wedding. Um, We were engaged, we were in that couple weeks before the wedding, and we were preparing you know, to to get everything in place for us to actually begin to do home together. And what part of that looked like was going grocery shopping. Um, We had never really gone grocery shopping before. Now we were both a little older, we were out of college, we had jobs, like we had a level of our normal routine that was already in place. And so there were certain things that I wanted to purchase and then there were certain things that she wanted to purchase. And some of it were like, yeah, that's cool. Like, that seems pretty normal. But the big conflict literally happened in the middle of the grocery store when it came to what ice cream we were going to buy. Um, my wife, I, and I kid you not, my wife's perspective of ice cream was you buy what's on sale, whatever's the cheapest, that's what we buy. And I have a standard. That's no standard. Like, my standard was no, it's briars because there's no preservatives, it's all natural and it's just better. And she's like, no, I'm not wasting money on briars when we can buy this. And I said, that's fine. I'll pay with my money. And she said, our money soon will be our money. It's not your money and my money in two weeks. It's going to be our money. So I'm not comfortable with that. And I'm like, no, like I'm not eating that. I'm just telling you right now. And I realize we're we're going at odds in the middle of the aisle in the grocery store. I can't imagine, like, if it was social media would have been the big thing right then, and cell phones had cameras, like, we would have been all over the place. Um, it, it was, you know, we laugh about it now because I won. You go to our house, it's Briars. It's all Breyers. Um But in a way, God had a sense of humor because shortly after we got married, I ended up becoming lactose intolerant. Um... <laughs> And uh, so ice cream, well, the benefit is the only ice cream brand that really makes ice cream for those that are lactose intolerant, guess what, is Breyers. Um, so I, I win, you know, and uh, so it works out well. But sometimes that's the way that we view conflict. It's, it's like, I'm going to go into this with an expectation. I'm going to do whatever I need to possibly do in order to win this, right? And it becomes dangerous when we'll do whatever we need to do in order to win, so let's, let's be careful with that. Now, today we're going to be diving in the book of James. So if you have your Bible or your digital device, go and open up to the book of James. And what we're going to explore, um, specifically in James chapter 4, what we're going to explore today is simply this, this idea. And this is our big idea for the conversation today. The foundation of civility is humility. The foundation of civility in our lives is humility. In other words, if you're not going to humble yourself, none of the things that we're going to talk about today are going to work. So we've got to begin with that. That's the foundational piece to learning how to navigate conflict and what conflict can do and where it can lead us in life. Now, James, the book of James. When we open up the book of James, I love James. And I hate James. And the reason why I say it that way is because James is like a gut punch. You, you read through the book of James, and you, get, you just feel like, oh, that one I felt. And then it's not quite enough. Like James will come back, and he'll throw a kidney punch and then a throat punch. And all of a sudden, you find yourself going, I don't even know how to digest this right now. That, that's kind of the book of James. And, and James, he, he takes you on this profound journey of how faith leads to action. James is, the author of this letter, is is the brother of Jesus. He's in charge of the Church of Jerusalem. And he writes passionately. And in doing so, he invokes this level of urgency that resonates really across time, urging all of us as followers of Jesus to, to kind of bridge this gap that exists between what we profess... In other words, what we believe, our faith that drives us, and then how we actually live our lives. That those two things should come together. If we say something, it should show up in our actions. And the themes that you'll see throughout this writing of James, you'll see this this idea of what genuine faith really looks like. That if our faith is genuine, if it's real, it's going to overflow into every other area of our life. It'll overflow into your finances. It'll overflow in the way that you parent. It will overflow into your workplace, your marriage. It overflows into everything, even into how you look and how you manage your finances. There's a part of James that talks about walk with endurance, to persevere through the challenges that exist and what gets thrown at us in life. And then this this concept of what I would call transformative obedience, that as I obey Christ, as I put my faith into action, I begin to transform in who I am and how I see him and how I even engage the world around me. So keep that in thought as we begin to Open up this whole idea that civility begins with humility as we start in James chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Just spend it on your passions. Let me pause there. James begins this section by posing the question that really leads. This is the foundation to our conversation today. In other words, what is the foundation of conflict? Like, where does it all begin? Why do we fight? Why do we quarrel? Why do we find ourselves in conflict? His conclusion here is that fighting, the the fighting, the quarrels that live inside of us are rooted in the, the fact that we have conflicting desires that dwell in us. And then he begins to spell these things out. We have problems with people around us because we have problems that exist within us. When you're at war with yourself, it really is impossible for any of us to live at peace with others. And then he breaks it down into three very specific areas. These three causes of of conflict, you could kind of look at it this way. These three are going to come up here on the slide. First is he talks about there's a desire to have then he says there's a desire to feel, and then the last one is a desire to be. And you'll actually see all three of these things mentioned in different places throughout the Scriptures. It's desire to have. In other words, I need something. I need a possession. I need that thing. And when we don't have that thing, we're willing to do go to extremes in order to obtain that thing. Then he breaks it down and talks about our pleasure, this desire to feel a certain way, to have a certain experience. None of us enjoys living in grief. None of us enjoys feeling sad or being depressed. So oftentimes, because we want to feel a certain way, we will give in to certain trends or we'll follow culture or we'll say no to things because we assume that's wrong and we want to go this direction. So this desire to feel can lead us into conflict. And then he breaks it down, a desire to be. This idea of desire to be is, really comes down to prestige and power. Prestige and power. The, the problem with each one of these things is that they're rooted, is, is how we, we try to go about life trying to fill up those different voids. These are all areas that God has developed in us, but the problem is we often try to find other solutions besides God to be the center of how those voids get filled. And and yes, God has created all of us to have the feels, to feel Different ways, like that's part of the emotion that God has created us with. But oftentimes, the challenge is we look outside of God, and even fill those feels. Did you know that when Americans are polled, that are going through divorce or have been divorced, that sixty percent of Americans are divorced because of financial issues in their marriage. They say that is one of the primary roots as to what's led them to divorce. Think about it from this standpoint. You have one person that comes from one type of upbringing and one type of background, marries somebody else, has a different upbringing and a different type of background, and they both have needs. They both have wants. They have possessions that they want, and they most likely have different perspectives on how you're going to manage that money. And the challenge happens is when the husband goes, well, I really need to have this so I'm going to go get this, whatever it is, you can fill in the blank, Breyer's ice cream. And the wife is like, well, this is what I need to have, and I want to have this, and I'm going to do what I need in order to have this, that it creates tension. Conflict now rises. And so when we try to live our life based on possession and all the things that I need to have in order to attain something or attain love, to attain respect. I mean, we can fill in so many blanks. We will go to whatever extreme in order to get that, and then it becomes a center of conflict in our life because it's combating forces. This person needs to have this while this person needs to have this, and all of a sudden they find themselves going, well, we're not even heading in the same direction. That's why 60% of marriages claim the fact that financial... Issues are leading him down that path. Let me break down this list a little bit more. This whole idea of desire of field, this desire for pleasure. Most of us don't like feelings that lead us to feel adverse feelings. We don't like adversity. We don't like emotions that lead us that direction. We we don't want feel grief. We don't want to feel sadness. We don't want to be unhappy. We don't want all those other negative things that can creep into our lives. And so as a result, we pursue other things. Because we assume when I feel right, when I feel this way, when I feel pleasure, we associate that as being good. And so we'll go to whatever length we need to, in order to avoid what we presume as being negative feelings. The reality is God has created the whole base as a part of our journey. Here's what I want us to understand. Just because something's hard, just because something may feel difficult, just because something may be a little bit challenging in front of us, doesn't mean that's not part of God's plan in our life in that moment. We need to be careful of associating God's goodness and God's plan based on how I feel in a moment. Don't allow that to distract you to who God is and what God is leading you towards. Faith is a lot like working out. I began weightlifting back when I was probably 14 years of age. And I've just spent hours in the gym, working out, lifting. I was an athlete, and some of those disciplines have just continued through life. My joints now are paying the price for that. But I still enjoy doing that because I I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy the workout. But muscles grow under pressure. Faith grows under pressure. Very similar to muscle growth. And one of the things that we need to understand is a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so to assume that challenge and negative and hard things and grief aren't a part of the faith journey is just wrong. It's just wrong. There are going to be things that are going to challenge us. There are going to be things that are going to be difficult because under that pressure is when our faith actually grows. You can think about it even in your own life. Crisis for many of us in life have been the things that have actually motivated and inspired our faith to go to where it is today. Why would it stop? I found that the longer that I've walked with Christ and the more challenges he places in front of me to take a leap of faith, He just asked me to jump further. It's not that all of a sudden it all becomes easy and, oh, I got it. No, it's just the next jump, he wants me to go a little bit further. And then he talks about this idea of prestige and power, this desire to be. And really what this is is we have a desire to live on our own. We have a desire to define what truth is for ourselves. And so, as a result, we we pursue and we engage in all the wrong things. But listen to me really, really quick, because some of you need to hear this today. You matter to God. You are a child of the King. Your identity isn't based on your performance. Your identity isn't based on what you do your identity is based on who he is, and that he calls you child when you are a follower of him. We live in a culture that wants to define your worth and your prestige based on position and performance. Not only that, it's carried over into sexuality. That sexuality has become our identity. Sexuality, listen to me very clearly. Sexuality is not your identity. Your identity is in who Jesus is and what Jesus has called you to become. There's all kinds of things in our world and in our life, and even I struggle with that feel natural of what I want to do because that's what I want to be. But the reality is, I can't allow those things to define me or my worth because I will always be disappointed. I'm going to step on some toes here. Do I have permission? There's some of us in the room. We find too much of our identity in our political stance. In the moment that you make your identity based on what you vote or what you vote against, for many of you, you've politicized Christianity. Politics. Listen to me really clearly. Politics is not the gospel. If you pull any of these things away, if you take the politics out, and I have strong opinions about politics, but that doesn't define me. When it comes to sexuality, if you pulled sexuality out, if you pulled your politics out, let me ask you this, what's left of you? Don't allow those things to be the center of your identity. And so right off the bat there, James breaks it down. He says, it is not this. It's the passions that are at war within you. It's, it's these desires that you have. And then he says, it's, you have a desire to have possessions. You desire and you do not have. So what are you willing to do? He says, even murder. You covet and cannot contain So you fight and quarrel. You want things that you can't have, so you go after it and you fight. You do not have because you did not ask. He says you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. All these things, this desire to have, this desire to feel, these desires to be, if we don't learn to keep them in check, it ultimately leads to greater conflict. Let me talk about it this way. I'm going to personalize it even a little bit more. Been in pastoral ministry for 25 years. And one of the things that blows me away is how consumeristic Christianity has become in the US side of the church. I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world. I've met with churches that literally meet under a hut. I've met in churches that meet under a tree. I've met in churches where the pastors flee for his own life. I've had to sneak out of communities and sneak. I had to sneak into communities and sneak out of communities in a different way because we knew people were pursuing us. And people came to those churches faithfully, week in and week out. And I never heard complaints about this, never heard complaints about that. I never heard complaints about, you know, what the pastor wears. I talk with the pastor. I never heard the pastor complain about, oh, man, I received three emails this week for what I said. Listen, the church is God's bride. It deserves to be treated as such. Yes, there are churches that lean a little bit off. There are churches that twist the truth. That happens. That's why we need to be square on the Bible. But most of the time, we leave churches, and here, I'm talking to those that have been in the church a long time, okay? We leave churches because we don't feel respected, or we feel like we can't respect the leader. We, we leave because we don't feel loved. We leave because of we lost a position. Maybe I used to serve this way, and now I don't have that opportunity to serve anymore, so I I've lost the prestige that came with that position or we leave because there's something deep down inside of us that we've never actually forgiven. Some hurt that we're holding on to. The reality is all of them are forgiveness issues. And so I just want to challenge us to take a little bit of inventory. If you've grown up in the church, you've been in the church a long time, I want to challenge you today. Don't let one of those things root up and continue to cause conflict when it's been dealt with. Forgive. Move on. Allow Christ to continue to guide you through this season. Now, my challenge for us is this Is the goal to be right, or is the goal to be in a right relationship? Pride is dangerous. That's why we talked about civility begins with humility. We all have to learn to deal with the problem within. And here, um, let me say it this way. You have to deal with the problem within before you deal with the problem with them. Oftentimes, we want to point out everything everybody else is doing wrong, and we never give attention to ourselves. Jesus said, hey, first take a look at the speck in your own eye before you pick out the log of somebody else's, right? We need to deal with the problem within before we deal with the problem with them. What is the key? Humility. Humility. And then in verse 3, he talks about it. It's interesting how James works this in. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. In other words, he says, sometimes the reason why we don't have what we desire to have is simply because you never prayed about it. Or you prayed about it, but you did it with the wrong motives. He said, guys, we need to spend time with the Lord. Talk to him. Tell them what you want. Tell them what you need. But check your own motives in that process. And then I love it. James doesn't leave us there. You know, that, that's what I said, man. There's some of the, I have a hard time sometimes reading James because it's like a throat punch. It's like, ugh. But he doesn't leave us there. He gives us, starting in verse 4, the cure for conflict. The cure for conflict. And again, it's rooted in humility. Starts in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, he says, hey, when you say that you love Jesus, when you say that you're God's chosen person, that you're a part of his family, and then you go and do whatever you want to do, you just walk away from the truths of Scripture. Scripture and you do whatever you want to do, you live however you want to live, and when the world looks at you, they don't see any difference from the rest of the world. He says, that's adultery. That's how serious God takes this. He said, that's adultery. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Whew, James isn't holding back. He's saying, if you want to live as a friend in the world and just embrace that culture and live the way that the culture is moving and you just follow along, he says, when you make that choice, you are making a definitive choice at living as an enemy to God. I don't know about you. I don't want to be an enemy with God. Verse 5, he says, Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says... He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He says, when, you, when you're living that way, embracing the way of the world, just want to pursue the way of the world, even when you call yourself a follower of Christ, when you pursue the way of the world, you're basically saying, you know what, what the Bible says, what Scripture says, doesn't matter. You're churning away from the words of God himself and saying, you know what? It's not relevant. Which when you begin to dissect what that means, that's prideful. You're saying, God, I know more than you. God, I'm placing my standard above your standard. That's why he says you're living as an enemy to him. He says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, that he's placed the Holy Spirit in us as followers of him to help guide us through this. And then he he, he says this, but he gives more grace. God's gracious. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we need to check our pride at the door. Verse 7, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil What James is doing is he's breaking it down for us of what needs to take place in us in order to cure this conflict. In order, How do we diffuse conflict in our lives? And he breaks it down in three ways. The first is this. He says you need to give it to God. <clears throat> give it to God. Pray about it. Lay it in his hands. Don't try to work your way through all this all on your own. Because it's too big for you. When we all have these desires and they come together, it's going to lead with conflict if we allow our pride to get in the way. So the first step is give it to him. Don't try to maneuver. Don't try to figure it out all in yourself. Ask for wisdom. Ask for guidance. Give it over. The second, and this is so important, is grow closer to God. Just grow closer to God. Why is that so important? He says, you know, resist the devil. In other words, it's important for you to understand the way that Satan works, that there are certain schemes that are in play. And I'll tell you this. Satan works the same playbook over and over and over again. Why? Because it works. So it's important for you to study the playbook. It's important for you to understand what's actually going on. I found it fascinating I've gone over to India a couple times, and India has a certain reputation. You know, I went and visited a python temple. And you see people that have just kind of fallen in love with different things of the world, and they began to worship the created versus the creator, just as it kind of spells out in Romans that this will happen when we give over to the desires of our hearts. Fascinating thing was a couple years ago in 2020, I actually visited Togo. Togo which is known as being the, vir- the, the birthplace of voodoo. And when I'm walking around Togo, what did I see? I saw a python temple. It was almost exact replica of what I saw in India, which is a great image to sit there and realize, you know what? Satan has the same playbook, and he's using it in all different parts of the world. It's important for you to understand the playbook. Resist it. Push it away. Draw close to God. The closer that you draw to God, the more that you're able to spot those things that are phony. The more that you handle the real thing, the easier it is to understand what is counterfeit. And Satan's a great counterfeiter. He's always trying to make it look like it's right. You go all the way back to the garden, Genesis chapter 1, and he begins to question the truth. Did God really say? draw close to God. The third aspect is this, learn to live on both sides of forgiveness. Learn to live on both sides of forgiveness. In other words, know that, you know what, I've got my own issues. I've got my own problems. I need my own help. I need God's forgiveness in my life, and I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to learn to live in the freedom that comes from understanding his forgiveness I'm gonna mourn over the things that I've done wrong. I'm gonna let it wreck me on the inside so that I can become an extension of his grace, that I can extend forgiveness when somebody's done me wrong and hurt me. This idea of learning to live on both sides of forgiveness is so important. It's not just enough for us to receive forgiveness, but we need to become people that can actually offer forgiveness. I've heard it said this way. It's easy for us as Christians to often say how much we love Jesus. The question is do we still love Judas? Do we still love Judas? Are we able to extend forgiveness even to those that hurt us, even to those that have wronged us? That's the example that Jesus set before us. Guys, this is who we are as a church. This is who we want to become. This is the hope that our community needs to continue to hear from. We need to draw close to God. And let's see what God does and how he continues to move us to become the people that he's called us to be. The foundation of civility begins with humility. Let's walk humbly with one another. Let's walk humbly before our God. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We need you. And God, we ask that you continue to walk and guide us through life. Help us to embrace the way of humility over personal drive and pride. Lord, that we be quick to forgive, that we be slow to speak, that we would listen. We listen to those that are around us, that we listen to you. And that we'd have the courage to do those things that you've called us to do, we pray. In your mighty name, amen.